All right, welcome to another episode of Do Loss, and today we're going to talk about how Christians should respond to the new president and his new administration. So obviously it was a contentious election in 2020 and a lot of vitriol, a lot of intense heat, not much light, but a lot of heat going on in this election cycle between President Donald Trump and President-elect Joe Biden. But how should Christians respond to Joe Biden's victory? He has been certified by the electors. He will be inaugurated this week. In fact, this is uh, Tuesday, so he'll be inaugurated tomorrow. And so, Lord willing, by the time you guys watch this or listen to it, uh, Joe Biden will be the official president of the United States. And we want to talk about how we should react to what uh, is going on in the new administration. So we're going to go over nine ways Christians should respond to the election. So these nine ways are found in Scripture. I don't think any of these ways are debatable. I think we are all uh, supposed to be a part or, or just walk in obedience in doing these responses to the new incoming president, although he may not be our first choice. Um, again, these are ways that we ought to respond and to do it uh, in a way that will honor Christ, because that's what we're here for, to honor Christ and to show his light in the world. So way number one would be with Thanksgiving. Now, that might be a little shocking because it's again, it's not our guy that once, quote unquote. But the right response here would be to be thankful and to, and to give thanks to God. And 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I think that's an unequivocal statement. It says, in everything, every meaning, every simple, every single uh, issue, event, happenstance, everything that takes place in life, we ought to be thankful because this is God's will for us. It may not be the best in our point of view, from our point of view, it may not be what we wanted, However, this is God's will, and we ought to give thanks for it because it is his will that we are taking part in. And it's, it's God's will in Christ Jesus concerning us, concerning you as a believer. If you, are, if you are a believer in Christ, this is God's will for you. Joe Biden's election is God's will for you, for us as believers. And I think Thanksgiving is vitally important because uh, it's. I was listening to Todd Friel from Wretched Radio, and he talked about how the degradation of morality in society. And in Romans 1, we kind of gloss over what it says in the beginning when it starts listing all the sins and the, and the perversions that go on in society. There's one thing that it mentions in the beginning, and I want you to take a listen to what he says here. Romans chapter 1, describing the depravity of man, the descent of how we go down, down, down to the bottom of the barrel when it comes to sinning. And it, as it descends, it talks about the individual, the sinner, who just gets more and more depraved and ultimately ending up in sexual depravity of whatever manifestation. Nor were they thankful. Well, isn't that a fascinating little parenthetical remark? So you see how not being thankful was the, it was the, you could say the, the pushing the, I guess the, the, the point to where people 
de degrade, where the morality drops when they don't have thankfulness. They're not thankful chiefly to God for all the provisions that we've been given and how have we been blessed mightily to be able to grow up in America with all the riches and the the sanitation and the food and I mean the clothing, the uh, opportunities, everything that we have in this country we should be thankful for far beyond what any nation in the history of the world probably has had. Uh, so we ought to be thankful. And it's it's a sad look at our society that we are devolving because we don't we are not a thankful society. Uh, we, we don't give thanks to God chiefly for who he is, for what he's done, for the blessings that he's poured out on this country. And, and we are seeing the fruits of that. And there's one little story. Hopefully this doesn't embarrass my mom, but it's, it's a good story because I think it, it's a lesson that I will never forget the rest of my life. So we were coming home from a Tuesday night service at our, our, at our church, at our previous church that I grew up in. And I was hungry, so I don't know, I was maybe 13, 14, 15 years old. And so my mom was there, and as a good mom, she I told her, you know, I'm hungry. And she, as a good mom, she went to the kitchen and started making me some food. So my, my mom and my dad, they are originally from Liberia, so the staple diet there is rice, greens, palm butter, all sorts of uh, good uh, original Liberian food. But, you know, growing up in America, the options that we have here, I got spoiled and I thought I could take it out on my mom that night. So my mom had made me a bowl of rice and I think it was some greens or some kind of palm butter. And she put it in front of me and I made the foolish statement of saying, why do we always have to eat rice? And as soon as the s left my lips, my mom slapped me across the face and told me, you need to be grateful that you actually have food to eat. <laughs> so, uh, she may be a little embarrassed by it, but I think it taught me a very valuable lesson that I will never forget. I mean, I'll, I'll be telling that story to my son, and Lord willing, if we get more children, I'll be telling that story to them to remind them that we ought to be thankful. And lest you think that my mom was too harsh on me that day, I think we should read the, uh, Numbers 11, verse 1, where it says, And when the people complained, talking about the children of Israel, it, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. So I just got a slap across the face, a slap I'll never forget. These people got burnt up, you know, the ones that were outside the camp, because they were complaining. So my mom showed me at least some <laughs> some, some grace, because I deserved to be burned, like God burned the people that were complaining uh, and the children of Israel for not providing them enough food or enough sustenance or the specific type of food that they wanted. Another verse uh, about thankfulness is Colossians 3.15, where it says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So this might be in an, in an unstable time, a difficult time. You know, we don't like the future of what our country looks like. However, it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And how do we do that? And it says, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. And I think it's, I would say, virtually impossible to have the peace of God rule in our hearts if we're not being thankful for what we have been given. If we're not thankful for the life, the breath, the, our, chiefly our salvation in Christ from, uh, from God's wrath. If we're not thankful for the food that we get to eat every day, the clothes that we wear. Most of us are not starving out on the street, uh, homeless, and a lot of us have homes to go to, to, go to. from the cold. We have food to eat. Uh, we have clothes to wear, we have air conditioning, we have a refrigerator, we have a stove, we have a microwave, we have shoes on our feet, we have 
the internet, which opens up a whole new world of, of entertainment and, and uh, learning and all sorts of things that we can be thankful for. So if we want to be, uh, if we want to let the peace of God rule in our hearts, we ought to be thankful. So number two on the list would be prayer. And although it may be hard to pray for the new administration, when you see the um, the picks that he has and the people that he's putting in charge of his cabinet. First <clears throat> uh, Timothy 2, 1 through 2 f- f- says this, though. It says, I exhort, therefore, this is Paul writing to Timothy, that first of all, so this is primary of importance, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. So just like we talked about thankfulness, be made for all men. And as far as I know, Joe Biden is part of that category, all men. He's a man that we should be thankful for. And then it says more specifically in verse two, for kings and for all that are in authority. Again, so we should be supplicating, we should be praying, we should be interceding, we should be giving thanks for all men, including those, chiefly those, namely those, the kings and for all that are in authority. So for Joe Biden, for Kamala Harris, for Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, all these people that are in power now that we really wouldn't want to be in power. But again, this is God's will concerning us. We thank God for it and we pray for them. We want them to be saved. These men and women obviously are not saved. They don't know Christ. They are advancing policies that are wicked, that are evil, that are perverse. However, we ought to be praying for them and and supplicating for them, interceding for them, chiefly, you know, a couple of th- just a couple of things that come to mind. We should be praying for their salvation, like I mentioned. Pray for them to be saved. Pray for them to come to the knowledge of the truth so that they can have the same lasting peace and joy that we have and have a right thinking, right living, so that they can implement righteous policies in the in the in the in the nation. As the psalm says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So we want godly leaders and just because they are Democrats does not preclude them from being saved. God can save, God can save anybody to the uttermost. He can save the worst of the of the worst. Paul himself said, "I am the uh, uh, Christ Jesus came into the world came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief." So Paul he persecuted the church. He personally dragged men and women to prison. He was consenting unto Stephen's death, and we'll cover that a little later. But we see that even Paul. As wicked as he was, God saved him and made him a powerhouse apostle for the church of Jesus Christ. So why can, and you might, you might wonder, why pray? You know, how can we have confidence in that prayer? Uh, Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. So as far as I know, Joe Biden is not a king. He is, he is, is an elected uh, president. So his word is not considered bond. He still has to go through Congress. He still has to go and you know make uh, deals with Republicans to get legislation passed. As far as a king is concerned, though, a king, whatever they say goes. You know, there's another proverb that says where the word of the king is, there's power, there's authority. Whatever they say is bond. You can't undo it. So if even the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and the Lord can turn it whithersoever he will, so he can turn it to do X or to do Y, why not the president of the United States who is elected, who on who is has a lesser authority? This country was built to, ha- to not give the president as much authority as, you know, King George, whom the, uh, the American uh, revolutionary soldiers uh, re- were rebelling against. Um, the third thing we can do is, is have joy. And he might think of joy as an emotion that uh, is... Uh, 
is uh, dependent on external circumstances, but that's not how the scripture says. It says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice in Philippians 4.4. 4. So we can rejoice in the Lord because if we have the Lord, no matter what, no matter, no matter who's in power, we always have the Lord. The Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. We have that lasting peace, that lasting fellowship with the Lord. So we can rejoice in him. And Paul says again, and again, I say rejoice. And I pulled up the uh, handy dandy Merriam-Webster definition. Rejoice means to feel joy or great delight. And then you might ask, what is joy? And I looked at joy and it said, joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success or good fortune or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. And what's our chief desire as Christians is to have Christ, to have our Savior. And we have him so we can rejoice in him always and, re and rejoice in him over and over day after day. No matter who's in power, we can rejoice in the Lord. James 1, 2 through 4 also says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So again, this may be a, a temptation, a trying time for many believers to see that there is a new incoming president who has no, uh, no affiliation really with truth, with the truth of God, with God's word. But we should count it joy because... Knowing this, the trying of our faith works patience. If anything that will, if anything good that will come from this, we, that will come from this, we know that our patience will increase, and we ought to be patient. We ought to be long suffering. That's the fruit of the spirit. And it says, "Let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing." So, if Joe Biden is there for four years, for eight years, at least you can look down the line and say, four years from now or eight years from now, I'll be able to say that I'm more patient, I'm more loving. I've I've been praying, I've been thankful. And I've been, ha been able to have more joy because of it. And now I'll be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I won't lack any good thing. I'll be more mature for en en enduring as if this is, you know, going to be a, 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 a persecuting time. It may be, but I don't, I don't see it uh, that physically. I don't see physical perse persecution of the church quite yet. Uh, so even in this time, we can say we can have patience. And we won't lack anything and we will we'll grow in Christ and mature because of the election of Joe Biden. Uh, the fourth thing that we should do is submit. Now, that's a hard one to hear. Uh, we may, you know, I know we live in a country where we always want to fight for our rights. We want to fight for our, our duty, our, 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 uh, our, uh, our claim on our property and our guns and our taxes, especially our money, and I mean, who likes paying more taxes? Who wants to pay more taxes? Ta more taxes, um, but again, Jesus Himself said, "Give to Caesar what is Caesar, but to give to God's, give to God what is God's." And uh, another, uh, and, and Romans thirteen is the first one to bring out on submission. It says, "Let every soul, so every person living on earth, be subject unto the higher powers." <clears throat> now. It didn't stop there, but it goes on. But I just want to stop and say, unto the higher power. Every, so every higher power, that means the mayor, the count, city council, the governor, the state senators, the U.S. Uh, senators, the legislators, all these people, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, these people that are the higher powers, we have to be subject to them. That's, a, that's an indicative statement. That's a, or an, an imperative statement. We have to do it. That's a command from God. Now, this is why, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So without question, why did Joe Biden become the president? Why was he elected? It was ordained by God. 
why was uh, President Donald Trump elected in 2016? It was ordained of God. Why was President Obama elected? It was ordained of God. Why was George W. Bush elected? It was ordained of God and on and on it goes. Everybody that comes to power is ordained by God and we have to submit to them. That's our Christian duty. That's how we honor Christ by submitting to the government. And our, our pastor brought out something, Pastor Doug from uh, Grace Community Church brought out something on Tuesday, on our Tuesday night men's Bible study where he said that we really don't have any rights as Christians. We don't have, we, we can't sit here and claim rights for everything. We have none. We're slaves of Christ. Christ owns us. We were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, the Bible says. We have no rights. We are, our only duty, our only aim should be to glorify and honor Christ. And if that means giving up our guns, if that means turning in our, or paying more taxes, as far as I know, that's not sinful to turn in a gun or to pay more taxes. We have to abide by the, by the government. Now, if they tell you not to preach the gospel or not to go to church or not to read your Bible, obviously that's a whole different other thing because the apostles were told to stop preaching the name of Christ and they said, judge you, you know, judge for yourselves whether we should obey God rather than men. And obviously you obey God because men can't do anything to you other than persecute you and throw and, and kill your body. But Jesus said to fear those, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So we ought to fear God above men and we ought to submit ourselves to the government, but only to the extent to where uh, to where they are not telling us to sin. And then it goes on to say in verse 2 of Romans 13, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall, resi shall receive to themselves damnation. So you are under a curse. You are damned if you resist the power that has been ordained by God. That's an unequivocal statement. I don't think, I don't see how you can argue that at all. If the powers that be are ordained of God and they are not telling you to sin and you're resisting that power, you are bringing yourself under damnation. You are under a curse. And uh, the operative word in, the, in those two verses is or, ordination. And what does ordain mean? Again, from Merriam-Webster, it says to establish or order by appointment, decree, or law, to destine or foreordain. So this was plotted out by God for Joe Biden to be president. And now it's our duty as Christians to submit I don't trust. I don't want to pay more taxes. I don't want to pay more money. I don't like seeing evil. I don't like seeing uh, unrighteousness written into the laws of of our country. However, he is a power that has been ordained by God, and I will submit to him. And so far as the Holy Spirit helps me to do so, and the Holy Spirit will help you to do so with joy, with thanksgiving, and with prayer, as we mentioned earlier. And another apostle, Peter, brought this out in First Peter two thirteen through fifteen. In verses 18 to 21, where he says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance, or every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. So even, you know, the police, we have to submit to them. Every ordinance we have to, even if we feel like we're being mistreated, we submit to them and allow God to work out his justice, his plan in, in the earth. In verse 15, it says, For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So again, that goes back to our Christian testimony. Are we going to submit to every ordinance of man so that we can put to silence the ignorance of foolish men? Or are we going to resist and bring damnation on ourselves? And this went further, even in Peter's time when he wrote to servants or slaves. He said, Be subject to your masters with all fear. And he goes on to say, Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward, to the hostile, to the ones that are mean, that are abusing their power. 
And Peter was telling them to be subject to them with all fear. And he says, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. This is thankworthy. If in your conscience toward God, you wanted to please God, you are enduring uh, hardship and suffering wrongfully. This is thankworthy. This is valuable. This is virtuous in God's sight. Peter says, for what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? So if you sin or you do something wrong and you're suffering for it, what glory is that? I mean, you did something wrong. You deserve to suffer uh, some kind of discomfort. But he says, if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So when you're doing everything right, you're doing things well and you're doing it with a good attitude, this is acceptable to God. God is pleased with your attitude. God is pleased with how you are uh, are receiving and enduring this wrong treatment. So as far as I know, many of us are not slaves of Joe Biden. He doesn't own us. But Paul, uh, but Peter is saying here, to even to the slaves, that if you are going to please God, you have to endure and fear and honor even your masters that are hostile toward you. In verse 21, it says, For, for even hereunto were ye called, and here, and why, why do we do this? Why should we act this way? Why should our attitude be like this? Because, as Peter says, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And again, what did Jesus do wrong? Nothing. Jesus never sinned. He was a sinless. He was holy, harmless, undefiled lamb of God. The only one who was qualified to take away the sins of the world. And yet he, he suffered wrong. He endured it patiently. He endured it quietly. You know, when he was before Pilate, he didn't answer a word when they were falsely accusing him. How many of us would stay silent when being falsely accused of taking cookies out of a cookie jar? And they were accusing Jesus of, of treasonous acts, something that he never did. Twisting his words, perverting his words. And how many of us hate when people twist and pervert our words? And yet Jesus did it patiently and endured it and endured it with a pure heart. And that's our example. That's how we should endure hardship. And again, we're not even slaves of Joe Biden, but we should endure his administration for however long it lasts. It's only going to be four years, if, if that, or, or eight years at the max. And, and Jesus has endured with his church for 2,000 years, despite all our shortcomings, all our sins, all our rebellion, all our, all our arrogance and pride and unforgiveness. Jesus has endured it all and still has held us in his hand. How much more so can we endure a little discomfort or a little more payment in taxes or giving up our our guns for the sake of because we want to submit to the ordinance of man number five we should study god's word second timothy two fifteen says study to show thyself approved unto god a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth knowledge of the scripture brings peace it brings security it brings sobriety and brings remembrance of hope. Romans fifteen four. Paul talks about how the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for us so we can have hope. So if we read the Bible and we study it and we get it inside of us and we meditate on it and we live it out and we speak it, uh, we speak it to ourselves to make sure that we are are in, immersed in it. We are able to have hope and peace and patience, and we're able to have joy. And we're able to be thankful. We're able to pray for our, those in authority. We're able to have joy. We're able to. To, uh, to submit and to do it with a good attitude. The words of Christ bring full joy. As, John, as Jesus said in John 15, 7 through 11, he said, these things I write unto you that your joy may be full. And these things we're talking about, Jesus said, my words abide in you and I, you'll, have, uh, you'll be loved of my father just like I'm loved of my father. 
Colossians 3.16 also says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So we have to get the word of Christ in us richly so that we can have wisdom, we can teach one another, we can admonish one another, we can uh, do it with the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and we can have joy because a lot of people that sing, or most people that sing, I would say, bring, sing songs of joy. And we can sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord when the word of Christ is in us richly. So we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with the rest of the list after this. All right, so we're continuing on with the list of ways that we ought to respond to the upcoming administration of Joe Biden. And we are at number six. Number six, the sixth way that Christians should respond to the new president would be to love your brother and sister in Christ. John thirteen thirty five. Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Now, that's kind of a daunting statement when you think about it. How much does Jesus love us? How much does Jesus care for us? How much does Jesus desire our fellowship? As Romans 8 talks about how nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Death, peril, nakedness, sword, principalities, powers, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And Jesus is saying, love one another, love one another as I have loved you. And he goes on to say that ye also love one another. And he says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. So how can we show the world that this new president is not phasing us? It's not going to cause us to become despondent and melancholy and, and woe is me. And this is terrible. Our country's going down the tubes. We're, un, we're, we're sad. How, much, how can we show the world and be a good testimony by loving one another, by fellowshipping with one another? Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Again, I mean, this, these, these are really difficult statements on, on their surface uh, when you look at them. Because God is, uh, Paul is telling us to be kind to one another and to forgive our brothers and sisters just like God has forgiven us for Christ's sake. Can you imagine? As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, God has... Uh, the handwriting of ordinances has been taken away and nailing it to his cross. Uh, these sins that God has forgiven us for are gone. They're wiped away. How much more so? And not even more so, equally so, as God, as it's saying, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you, we ought to forgive one another. How much more so should we forgive our brother and sister that steps on our toe, that says something bad about us, or maybe that slanders us, or you know, says something that we don't like? How much more so should we forgive them? 1 Peter 3, 8 says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous. You know, believe the best about one another. Don't believe the worst. You know, try to be courteous to one another. Help one another out. Uh, have compassion to one, one, toward, one to another. That's how we ought to be as a body of Christ, having one mind, you know, full of compassion, full of love, full of courte uh, courtesy. Number seven. Gospel proclamation, gospel proclamation. In the book of Acts, Acts 8, 1 through 4, when Saul was persecuting the church, it says in verse 1 that a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, had took place. And this was, and Paul was pretty much spearheading this persecution. And Stephen had just been stoned, and the brethren, some devout men, took uh, Stephen and, and buried him and 
made a great lamentation over him. And then it says in verse 3, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, inhaling men and women, you know, dragging them, commit, and committed them to prison. But then it says in verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered, so those that had escaped Paul's persecution and, and thrown, being thrown into prison, they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. So as far as I know, we're not being dragged out of our houses yet. We're not being taken to prison yet as Christians. But the first century church, they were being dragged to prison. And those that escaped Paul's uh, vengeful and, and zealous persecution, they went everywhere preaching the word. So wherever they were scattered to, they would preach the word. How much more so should we, in living in our neighborhoods, be preaching the word and, and, and sharing the gospel with the lost and encouraging those who have no hope in this world, like I talked about in the previous episode, to be sharing with them the hope of the gospel. First Thessalonians 2, 2, Paul talks about again that they were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. So Paul was facing opposition everywhere he went. But again, with boldness, he preached the gospel of God. And again, even Paul uh, talked about boldness there, but he also asked, uh, I forget which church, to pray that he would speak the word of God with boldness, because of course, when you're being assaulted all the time, you're being persecuted, you're being chased, you're being stoned, you, you get fearful sometimes. It's understandable. But Paul was asking for the church to pray that they, that, that he and his companions would have boldness to preach the word of God faithfully. And if we pray for one another, to, for one another to preach the gospel boldly and faithfully, I think God would answer that prayer because that's that's God's will for us to preach the gospel. That's why we're still here on earth to to be the light. Number eight. Unity. We should preserve unity. Ephesians one or Ephesians four one through six, Paul says, "I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called." So this job, this calling, this mandate that we have, we should walk worthy of it. How do we do that? Paul says, "With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love." Again, it can be difficult being a part of a church. There's people that are going to rub you the wrong way. There's people that are, going to, that are going to offend you. There's people that are going to step on your toe and, and make things very discomforting for you. Again, what we have to, with all lowliness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, enduring suffering for a long time, forbearing one another, restraining ourselves from getting angry and upset when somebody wrongs us, or, or at least trying to believe the best about them and, think, and try to give them the benefit of the doubt. We should do it in love. And he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That should be, that's our chief goal as believers. Keep unity, be unified, be of one mind have one goal. And again, in verses four through six, he gives us, he, he mentions the word one seven times regarding seven different things that we have, that we have uh, one, uh, that we should have unity in. He says there's one body, the body of Christ. There's one spirit, the Holy Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope, again, Christ of our calling, one Lord, Christ Jesus, one faith, the Christian faith, one baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit being immersed into the church of God. One God and Father of all. Of course, there's only one God. There's only one true God. And he's a one God and the Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So this unity should be kept in the body and the spirit and, and our hope in Christ our Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father who is our Father. We're all members one of another. Colossians three twelve to 14, it says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. Again, we can't maintain unity if, some, if somebody's not willing to forgive. If somebody's not willing to restrain themselves from being angry and carrying out a grudge and sowing seeds of discontent, which again is one of those seven things that God hates is somebody that spreads discord between brothers. 
so we have to endeavor to keep this unity. And again, it goes on to say, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So if you have, a, you have an argument, you have a quarrel with somebody, forgive them. Let it go. Because the unity of the church is vastly more important than you feeling justified in your anger. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfect. Again, love is what holds us together. If we're not willing to love one another, we're not going to be willing to forgive. We're not going to be willing to, to have, be lowly, to be kind, to be merciful to one another. So we have to, we have to do these things. And it's a challenge for all of us. We all need to love more and care more and, and forgive more. But this is part of the Christian life, and Jesus is our prime example. <clears throat> and the last thing, that uh, the way that we can respond to the to the election of Joe Biden is gathering together. Hebrews ten twenty three to twenty five says, "Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he that he, for he is faithful that promised." And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you, as you see the day approaching. So for those of us who are saying, you know, the, wor the country is getting worse, you know, God's judgment is coming, the last day is coming. If that's true, then you should be one of the chief people that are endeavoring to be in the body of Christ when, you're, when your church meets. You should be the one provoking one another to love and good works. You should be one of the chief people that are trying to make sure that all uh, who are part of your local church are coming together and, and we are exhorting one another and provoking one another and helping one another and encouraging one another. First uh, John 2, 9 through 11 talks about how if you love your brother, but you, or you, if you love God and you hate your brother, you're not in the light, you're in darkness. And again, if you don't want to be around your brothers and sisters as often as you, as you can regarding meeting together as a church, then can you really say that you're part of the light? Can you really say that you're, you're in Christ? Because if you love Christ, you're going to love his church, you're going to love his people. You can't say, I love Christ and I don't really care for this brother or sister. Paul talks about how even though they may be a weaker brother, it's still the weaker brother for whom Christ died. So when, you, when we regularly gather, it brings conviction. You know, you see other Christians that are growing, that are having joy. That can bring conviction to you, to me. Uh, when I see somebody who is having, uh, who is growing, in their faith and becoming more bold and proclaiming the gospel, that can convict me because I may not be doing as well as they are. And I need to see that happening, and I, but I won't see it if I'm not a part of the gathering of the church. I can, I can be encouraged. We can be encouraged by coming together. We can, uh, we can grow together because, you know, iron sharpeneth iron, so when one man sharpeneth another. We need to be coming together, growing together in the faith. We need one another. I need you. You need me. We can, I mean, it's not Barney, but what he said was, was true. You know, I love you, you love me, let's all be a family, whatever the, whatever the song was. There's a, there was a kernel of truth in it. I don't think Paul had Barney in mind, but that, that's a separate conversation. Uh, so the, the, the next thing we could, that we, the next benefit that we get is unity. We get love and then we get joy and we get peace. So all these things, these are the seven other things that we can get when we regularly, regularly gather together. We need one another to grow. We need one another more and more as we see the day approaching. God is coming back one day. He will judge He will judge the world. But even Peter said, judgment must begin first at the house of God. So if you don't want to be at the house of God, that may be, it may be why, it may be a, a tell tale that you don't want to face that judgment. You don't want to face that scrutiny, that conviction. You don't want to grow. You don't want unity. You don't want love. You don't, you don't want joy. You don't want peace. Uh, so, uh, I would encourage all of us, even me, to love gathering together. We need one another to grow as a body.
So on the Dulas show, I want to add a new segment going forward. It's called Quote of the Day. And I've been listening to a lot of uh, Bible teachers and sermons over the past few years of my uh, my conversion. And I've learned a lot and I've written down quotes that have been uh, really important to me and, and encouraging to me and, and helpful to me. And so the first quote that I want to add for the first quote of the day segment is, from John MacArthur, of course, a spiritual uh, hero to me and to millions of others around the world. And it actually goes along with what I was talking about, unity in the church. And he said in in one sermon, this, talking about the church, is where Satan does his greatest damage. History would tell us that to persecute the church externally only causes the church to become purer and more powerful and more effective. So Satan works inside the church. So as we read, as, we, as I talked about in Acts, how when the believers were being persecuted by Paul, they scattered abroad. But when they scattered, they were preaching the word everywhere they went. So the church grew because of that persecution. And what uh, uh, Pastor John MacArthur was saying here was that Satan works inside the church to you, you break it down from the inside. <clears throat> you know, Jesus said, um, um, how, how can you rob the strong man's house if you don't first bind the strong man? And our, our and Paul talked about how the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The foundation of all truth in the world is found in the church, the church of Jesus Christ, because he is our life, he is our hope, and he is the truth. And it is he whom we serve, and it is he who who has revealed his truth to us. So Satan works in that church works in the church to pervert to undermine, to corrupt the sound doctrine, the sound teaching. And the Bible talks many times of false prophets, false teachers. Jesus himself says, beware of false prophets, false teachers, because they are, they are, they come to you as wolf in sheep's clothing. They look great on the outside. They look like they're truly born again. They're speaking the Christianese. They sound great, but they are ravening wolves. They are seeking to devour you on the inside. And that's what Satan is. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we ought to resist him in the church. That's why sound doctrine is important. All these things that I I listed, these nine things are predicated on the fact that there is sound doctrine there. There is sound theology that needs to be studied, that needs to be read, that needs to be absorbed so that we can face the enemy. When Satan comes to disrupt the unity of the church, we are able to combat him with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So I would encourage you to um, look over this list. Uh, Look up the scriptures, read them, meditate on them, and uh, allow them to rule in your mind and dominate your thinking so that you can respond rightly to the new election of Joe Biden. So on our next episode, we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God, and we're going to talk about why Joe Biden is in office, why Trump was in office, why Obama was in office, and does God really control and dominate the universe? Is he really sovereign over all things? We'll come back on another another episode of Do Loss and we'll see you then. <laughs>